Well, allow me please to add my own welcome to that of uh, Peter's earlier in the service. It's uh, great to have you here, and especially if you're here for the first time, as Peter says, either just moving into Sheffield, looking around at churches, wondering if this is the church for you uh, to make your home while you're here, or indeed if you've been invited uh, as a guest tonight, um, somebody's brought you along uh, for this very special guest service. You're very, very welcome, and I want to uh, welcome you most warmly on behalf of the entire church family this evening. Well, in this part of the service, we're going to look at this uh, Bible passage uh, that we had read uh, just a little bit earlier. So I'd encourage you uh, to have it open just so that you can see why I'm saying what I'm saying. Uh, It's in Mark chapter 6. And uh, here at this church, we believe that um, we can't possibly understand the Bible without God helping us to understand it. And so I'm going to pray right now that God would do that, helping us to understand what he has to say uh, to us through the Bible. Let's uh, pray together. Heavenly Father, we've just sung that uh, all that you've done demands from us uh, everything, our soul, our life, our all. Uh, And we pray that we'd understand better why that's the case this evening, if we've never understood it before. And perhaps for those of us who've understood something of this before, that we'd understand it better. And so we ask you to help us as we look at your word, the Bible, tonight. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I love the Indiana Jones films. Uh, I was pleased there was another one out just a couple of years ago and enjoyed very much going to see it. One of my favourite moments in those films comes from Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Uh, The film is all about the search for the Holy Grail, the cup that was supposed to have been used by Jesus at the Last Supper. Uh, The characters in the film think that this cup has some sort of magical powers and to Drink water from the cup will give you eternal life. The whole idea is, of course, complete nonsense, but it makes a good plot for a film. Anyway, after much searching for the cup and many close shaves, the hero, Indiana Jones, finally discovers the place where the Holy Grail is kept. And it's being guarded by an old knight. An ancient warrior has been custodian of the cup for 700 years. Indiana has found the place. But there are many cups on the table any one of which could be the grail. And the knight tells Indiana Jones that to drink from the wrong cup will result in death and then in walk the baddies. But rather than me explain what happens next, let's uh, watch the action on the screen. I love that line. It's one of the biggest understatements in the history of cinematic entertainment. He chose poorly. But it introduces to us what I'd like to talk about uh, this evening, uh, the issue of choices. Uh, We face choices every day. Should I have a latte or a cappuccino? Uh, Should I choose the vindaloo or the korma? Do I want my mouth on fire and not be able to taste anything for the next week? I I have very conservative uh, uh, tastes, I must say. We're all making choices all day long, but few of them really matter. There are, however, some choices that make a huge difference in life, like uh, what university I go to. Uh, Your choice to come to Sheffield to study will change your life forever. It will change the friends you make, the people who influence you, the contacts you have, maybe who you marry. The decision to come to Sheffield will shape the rest of your life. In years to come, in an idle moment, you may just wonder what life would have looked like had you turned and gone to some other university. Uh, But don't worry, you've chosen well. You've chosen Sheffield. 
You see, the point is there are some decisions that shape our whole lives. A university place, a job offer, a marriage proposal, they are huge decisions. But I want to talk to you this evening about a decision that has implications that go even further. And that is the decision we make about the person of Jesus Christ. And to help grasp the decision before us, we're going to look tonight at a king, King Herod, a man who also chose poorly. Mark chapter 6, which is printed on the handout, uh, is where we'll be looking from uh, the Bible tonight. The King Herod we come face to face with in verse 14 is, is not Herod the Great. He was the man who murdered all the baby boys living in Bethlehem region when Jesus was born. No, this is his son, Herod Antipas, the ruler of Galilee. King Herod had heard news about Jesus Christ as we see uh, there in verse 14. He'd heard about the things Jesus had been doing and saying. And is it any wonder? The miracles Jesus was performing were out of this world. The first five chapters of Mark's Gospel tell us of some of those things that he was doing. Jesus healed many people, dozens of people. He healed a man with leprosy. Now, leprosy, a disease which eats away the flesh, leaves people permanently and horrendously disfigured. A disease that at the time had no known cure. Jesus healed that man. He healed a man who was paralysed, a man who'd been carried to Jesus on a stretcher because he was unable to walk, and yet with just a word from Jesus, the man instantly regained the use of his legs and walked out of the room. And if that isn't remarkable enough for you, get this, Jesus even raised a little girl from the dead. By the time Jesus reached the little girl, people had gathered around to mourn her death. They were sobbing and grieving. But when Jesus arrived, he simply took her by the hand And he told her to get up, and she got up. And so, verse 14, Jesus had become well known. King Herod had heard about Jesus, but he hadn't fully grasped why Jesus was able to do the miraculous things that he was able to do. In fact, as we read on, we'll see that Herod got entirely the wrong end of the stick. Look at verse 14. King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying John the Baptist has been raised from the dead and that is why miraculous powers were at work in him. Others said he's Elijah and still others claimed he's a prophet like one of the prophets of long ago. See, it wasn't just Herod. It seems everyone was talking about him and it seems everyone had an opinion about him. Everyone had their take on why Jesus was able to form such astonishing miracles. Many thought that Jesus was one of the great old Jewish prophets. But King Herod had his own theory. Look at verse 16. When Herod heard this, he said, John, the man I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. See, King Herod had spent a lot of time with a man called John the Baptist. But in a foolish moment, Herod had ordered that John the Baptist be beheaded. And now, Herod was spooked that Jesus was in some way John the Baptist come back to life. And it's that thought that introduces the rest of this passage from verses 17 to 29. It's in these verses that we'll be helped to consider the greatest choice that we'll ever make, whether we will choose to follow Jesus or go our own way through life. Uh, It was the choice that John the Baptist had laid before King Herod again and again. Uh, That was uh, John the Baptist's job, if you like. Mark tells us at the beginning of his Gospel that John the Baptist spent his life telling people about Jesus, telling people that Jesus was king, 
in God's world. And so John the Baptist spent his life telling people to get ready for Jesus, for the king. Uh, Some years ago, a member of the royal family came to visit a, a previous church that I worked in. Before she arrived, there were frantic preparations to make sure everything was ready for her. Junk was cleared away, walls were given a fresh coat of paint, carpets were rolled out. The last job of all, by royal command, do you know what it was? To fit a brand new toilet seat. It apparently always has to happen. It affectionately became known as the royal throne after that. Uh, And we um, we did, you see, everything in our power to prepare for the arrival of our royal visitor. Now that's what John the Baptist did with his life. His whole life was intent on announcing the arrival of Jesus, the Christ, God's King in God's world. And he said to all people that he met, get ready to meet this King. And that's what John the Baptist had done with King Herod. And at the end of verse 20, we read that Herod liked to hear what John the Baptist said. He was intrigued to hear about Jesus. But what he didn't like to hear from the lips of John the Baptist was the judgment on his private life. You see, the story tells us that Herod had an adulterous affair with his sister-in-law. Yes, Herod has stolen his brother's wife. Can you imagine what Christmas was like around their house? Her name was Herodias. She left her husband Philip, moved in to the palace with Herod, and eventually they got hitched. Now, uh, running off with your brother's wife is no way to live. And John the Baptist told him so. A very courageous man was John the Baptist. Look at verse 17. Remember, he's speaking to the king. Verse 17. Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested and he'd had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he'd married. For John had been saying to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. See, John the Baptist confronting the king. What a courageous man. He challenged the king. And Herod's conscience was cut to the quick. It happened to me just before I became a Christian. I'd always thought myself as a pretty decent bloke. I'd never been in trouble with the police. I paid my taxes. I didn't break the law except, of course, for the speeding limit. But then everybody does that. I didn't steal, but then there was the occasion that I would steal a bit of stationary from the stationary cupboard at work but then everybody did that and I didn't lie except when I needed to get myself out of trouble but then everybody did that as well and that was the point see I I may have looked like a fairly decent bloke compared to others uh, but compared to Jesus you see how good we are depends on how we compare ourselves who we compare ourselves with as a teenager I used to love playing badminton Uh, Because I I played against my dad most weekends, just because I played often, I I could beat most of the other kids in my year at school. So I thought I was a pretty decent player. And like, uh, I guess, most teenagers who are good at something, I became a bit too big for my boots. Now, I need to tell you, I had a friend, his name was Lawrence, and he played badminton for the county. And if I remember correctly, he played at under-15s level when he was 13. So he was playing boys who were bigger than him and beating them. And one year, Lawrence suggested I enter a badminton competition that he would be playing in. I think my sort of own pride about how good I was had got to him. So I entered this competition, and the night before the competition, I had visions of playing my friend Lawrence in the final and snatching a dramatic win. I began to work out my victory speech. I I needn't have bothered. I needn't have bothered. The first part of the tournament was a round-robin affair. 
I played three other lads in my pool, was hammered by all three, thrashed off the court, given a lesson in badminton. And to make it worse, those three didn't get any further in the competition either. (laughs) A competition that my friend Lawrence won pretty convincingly. You see, how good we are depends on who we compare ourselves to. It's true in badminton, it's true in life. And when we begin to look at our lives in the light of who Jesus is, we soon begin to realise we don't live up to his standards. I can compare myself to you and I might look alright, I don't know. But compared to Jesus. And you see, worse of all, we've ignored the God who, who is the God of this world. That's what John the Baptist was telling Herod. He said, you've broken God's law and so you've rejected God. And John said these things because he wanted Herod to be prepared to meet King Jesus. He didn't want him to meet King Jesus and not be ready for that moment. If you're a guest here this evening, thank you for coming. Again, may I say you're very welcome. You're very welcome any Sunday, but really thrilled that you've come this evening. And if you are a guest this evening, I wouldn't be at all surprised if the reason you're here is because a friend has told you about Jesus. Maybe you've had a number of conversations and, and they've encouraged you to come this evening. And it might be that your friend, like John the Baptist, has told you how to be ready to meet Jesus. They may have said things like this, that you can never be good enough for God. We heard it from Ruth, actually, didn't we, as she spoke. That you can never be good enough for Jesus. That's the bad news. But the good news is Jesus died for you on a cross. He died so that you could be forgiven. Now, you may have heard that um, your friends say to you that, 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 that you can have forgiveness if you repent and believe, if you... You turn away from living your own way and start turning towards Jesus and trust him. And you've thought about that for some time, maybe. And as you've thought about it, you thought, that will mean changes in my life if I were to follow Jesus. Well, if that's you, then you're very much like King Herod. And you can be sure that he found it hard when John said, John the Baptist said to him, you shouldn't have your brother's wife. It's just not right. Not only not right with Philip, your brother, but it's, hey, it's not right with God. Well, you can be sure he didn't like hearing that, but let me say this, you can be even, even more sure of this. Herodias was livid with John the Baptist. She wanted him out of her life and off this planet. That's what we read in verse 18. Do you see it there? Verse 18, John had been saying to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. See, Herod put John the Baptist in prison in part to protect him from Herodias, his wife, and in part to hear some more about Jesus from John the Baptist. You see, Herod was strangely drawn to all that John the Baptist had told him about Jesus Do you see it there at the end of verse 20? Herod liked to listen to John. So from time to time, Herod would send for John and listen to him. And verse 20, it says, when Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled. Now the word puzzled here doesn't mean that John's teaching was complicated. No, it means that Herod was in a fix morally. He was confused morally. He was puzzled. What what should he do? He knew John was right. He knew that the things John was saying were right. He knew he should turn from his adultery. He liked hearing about Jesus from John. There was a magnetism about Jesus that kept drawing Herod to him. 
but he was in a fix because he'd married his brother's wife and his wife was livid with John the Baptist. See the dilemma for Herod? Faced with a choice. Would he choose wisely or poorly? Think of a friend of mine, a, a, a colleague of mine from, uh, from my days in the new, newspaper industry. Steve was his name. Uh, Steve bombarded me with questions about Jesus. I'd become a Christian a couple of years earlier and he asked me many questions about Jesus. He always had another question to ask. And he seemed so interested for so long, but you know, he never became a Christian. We've lost touch now. And to my, to my knowledge, he never became a Christian. But it wasn't because he wasn't convinced about Jesus Christ. In fact, on several occasions, I'd find him telling others at work about Jesus. I'd walk into the room and he was telling them about Jesus. He'd be telling them the things that I'd told him. But he never became a Christian because he knew that in order to follow Jesus, his lifestyle would have to change. And he wasn't prepared to do that. See, the issue for my friend Steve and for Herod wasn't intellectual. It wasn't whether this stuff stood up. It was a moral issue. Uh, C.S. Lewis, the author of the Narnia books, understood this issue well. C.S. Lewis wrote these words, Some people reject the clear evidence about Jesus because of moral implications involved. There needs to be a moral honesty as we consider who Jesus is, writes Lewis. Now I want to ask you tonight, will you have that same moral honesty? You see, what you do with Jesus is, whether you realise it or not, the greatest choice you'll ever make. If you're going to keep Jesus out of your life, will you be honest about why you're doing that? If you insist on keeping Jesus at arm's length because you're not prepared to make changes in your life, will you, as C.S. Lewis says, at least admit that? Don't pretend it's an intellectual problem. Don't hide behind intellectual questions when really it's a moral issue. That's how it was for Herod. Not intellectual, but moral. And I wouldn't be at all surprised if there aren't people here just like Herod. You know all the arguments about Jesus. You know that following Jesus makes sense, but there's a lifestyle issue. And the reason you're not prepared to stand up and follow Jesus is because you don't want to change the way you're living. And let me say, that's going to be a huge issue for some of you at university as you've come up to Sheffield in the last weeks. You want to follow the crowd. That's going to be the big pressure. Live the high life. Well, look, Herod lived the high life. Let's see how that turned out. Uh, We'll see it in verse 21. It was his birthday. In verse 21, it says he threw a party, a huge banquet. Do you see it there in verse 21? His high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee... Uh, Crucially, notice Mark's description of the occasion right at the beginning of verse 21. Do you see it there? Finally, the opportune time came. Now, Herod's birthday banquet is an opportunity. It's an opportunity for Herod to repent and decisively and publicly repent. But as we shall see, it's also an opportunity for Herodias to get rid of John the Baptist once and for all. Opportunity knocks for both of them. But as Herodias seizes her opportunity, Herod misses his. Mark retells the incident in a very matter-of-fact way. Verse 22, During the banquet, Salome, the daughter of Herodias, danced in front of all the men who were half drunk, and she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. And so, verse 23, the king, half cut, utters a rash, drunken promise to give up to half his kingdom to this teenage girl. 
And no doubt, as he said it, all his mates were laughing and clapping and patting him on the back and saying, you're the man, Herod. And so the girl runs out to her mother, Herodias, and said, verse 24, what shall I ask for? You can imagine her getting excited. She'll ask for diamonds or gold or rubies or the lovely meadows to the south. No, no, snaps her mother, verse 24, you ask for the head of John the Baptist. See, opportunity knocks and Herodias was going to grasp hers. And at once, verse 25, the girl hurried into the king with the request, I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. I imagine the request did what no amount of paracetamol could do. He sobered Herod up in an instant. And verse 26, the king was greatly distressed. I bet he was. And this is the key moment in Herod's life. This is a choice that is so much bigger than what you need to attend or what job to take or even who to marry. This is a decision that will shape eternity. Which way will Herod go? See, he could refuse this request to kill John the Baptist because it wasn't wrong to break a promise that it was wrong to make in the first place. This was a moment to make a dramatic speech and a a public repentance. I will not kill John the Baptist. What he has said is true. I've rebelled against God. I must turn from my evil ways. I'm going to follow the king, a king much greater than me, King Jesus. What a speech that would have been. That would have made a good Hollywood movie, wouldn't it? Herod could make a stand. Or he could give in to the peer pressure of those around him. Peer pressure's huge, isn't it? There'll be some here facing that kind of peer pressure at school, at uni, at work. Uh, You've heard about Jesus, uh, uh, you know what it will mean to change and to follow him, but you're not prepared to stand up for Jesus for fear of what your friends might say or what your family might think or that your boyfriend or girlfriend might dump you. It's a moment of decision, isn't it? Verse 26, do you see it there? The king was greatly distressed, distressed, but because of his oath and his dinner guests, he didn't want to refuse her. And so he chose poorly. See, Herod understands the truth, yet he chooses to give in to peer pressure. And so, verse 27, he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in the prison and brought back his head on a platter. He presented it to the girl and she gave it to her mother. Terrific, isn't it? Herodias has her bloody trophy. Her tradition has it that she pulled out the tongue and pierced it with one of her pins and said, that'll teach John. Under pressure, Herod capitulated. He allowed the head that warned him and the tongue that told him to follow Jesus to be cut off. He chose poorly. And we all, I hope, sit here thinking, how pathetic is that? That because of a drunken oath to a teenage girl, and because he feared his drunken guests, Herod actually got a man beheaded in the middle of his birthday party. How pathetic. But as we look at how pathetic the scene is, we have to ask ourselves, what would we have done in Herod's position? No, here's a better question. What do we do in our position? 
See, the fact remains that many, many people will deny what they know is right about Jesus because of what the family will think, what business colleagues will say, how friends will react. Well, let me ask you, is that what's stopping you from turning to Jesus? What others might say? Please, don't let your friends and family rob you of forgiveness and a relationship with God for eternity in heaven. It's not worth it, is it? They're not really friends if they're taking that from you, are they? And as you weigh it up, let me, let me tell you the really scary thing here, and it's this. If we reject Jesus, he will reject us. You see, just under the uh, reading from Mark 6, there's another reading from Luke 23. Uh, This reading is when, years later, Jesus himself is about to be crucified. Jesus was before another governor called Pilate, and Pilate handed him on to Herod. And so we come to a moment, years later, when Herod finally met Jesus. Before he'd only heard about Jesus, now he met him. And these words are really very shocking. Verse 8, when... Herod saw Jesus. He was greatly pleased because for a long time he'd been wanting to see him. From what he'd heard about him, he hoped to see him perform some miracle. And then verse 9. He plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave no answer. And when Jesus ignores you, you know you're in trouble. You see, there comes a time when after repeatedly refusing to repent, there is no longer the opportunity to repent. It is so easy to procrastinate, to put off the decision until later. Oh, I'm having such a good time in life at the moment. Please, let me say this gently to you. You may never be again in a situation where life allows you the space and the time to think these things through. You may never again have Christian people around you who are prepared to spend time with you answering your questions about Jesus. There's a real warning here, isn't there? There's an opportune time that comes and it goes. Now the challenge of this passage is to choose wisely. Uh, For some of you here, you've only just started to think about Jesus and, and you're saying, I can't really make a choice. No, you can't. If you've only just started to think, You need more time to think it through. I want to say to you, if that's you, will you take um, this booklet from me? It will just say a few more things of the sorts of things I've been saying today. It's called The Choice We All Face. And I'll be on the door. Peter will be on the other door. Just grab one of these from me. Tucked inside will be one of these. uh, An invitation to our Christianity Explored course, which begins on Tuesday the 12th of October. It's a great course for you to ask your questions and for you to have good people who are well thought through to be able to answer those questions for you and to look in the Bible to see what the Bible says. We say at that course, no, no, no question's a bad question. In fact, we begin the, question by, uh, begin the course by asking this question. If you could ask God any question and you knew it would be answered, what would it be? Chance for you to ask your questions. So some of you here are saying, look, I can't make a decision because I don't know enough. No, no, that's absolutely right. Come along to Christianity's board. Uh, Grab a booklet on the way out, if you will. But for others, you've heard about Jesus many times. And you know it makes sense. But something's holding you back. I don't know what it is. 
If you still have intellectual questions, then let me encourage you again, go on Christian Explored, uh, hook up with a, with a Christian friend. If you don't have a friend who, who, who can answer these questions, tell me, we'll find a friend for you who can, who can answer those questions. So if you've got intellectual questions, then do explore them. But in the words of C.S. Lewis, I want to ask for moral honesty tonight. If the issue is a moral one, will you name it as such and don't hide behind some other excuse? And then, having named it as a moral issue, I want to ask you, is it worth giving up eternity for? And is it worth giving up eternity because of peer pressure? Because of what your friends think? Is it really worth it? Please choose wisely. Now let's take a moment to think our response through and uh, to help us do that, we're going to listen to a song a solo sung by uh, Sarah Roper. And uh, you'll, uh, you'll see the words of the song uh, here on the service order. It speaks of a God of grace. Um, I thought Ruth very helpfully helped us to think about what grace was. God giving us things we don't deserve. Many, many good gifts. You think about this God, the God who loves you more than anybody loves you in the whole universe as you think about your response to him this evening.